Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am just really excited to be able to hang out with you guys this morning and uh, just bring the word this morning. If you're a guest of ours, I just want to say welcome. It is great to have you guys. Thanks for coming by, stopping in, and just spending this morning uh, with us today. So if, if you've not been here for the last couple of weeks, we are in a series right now called Explicit Grace. And what we're doing is we are walking through the book of Romans. And in all actuary, in all reality, we're actually doing more of a flyover of the book of Romans than an actual walkthrough. There are churches that will spend years walking through the book of Romans. And we're not going to do that, um, but we are walking through from now until Easter. So we're going to spend several weeks dissecting this letter that Paul wrote uh, to churches that were in, in Rome. And, and really, what Paul does in this book, this is considered to be probably um, Paul's greatest writing and in arguably the most influential book in all of the gospel. And, and what Paul does is he's setting a foundation for us to build our faith on. And what was happening was the church in Rome, there was a, a whole bunch of Jews that had, had, had accepted Jesus and believed in Jesus as their Savior, and there was a whole bunch of non-Jews that had done the same thing, and they're coming together to form these churches, and, and what's happening is they're bringing in their pasts, and they're bringing in their baggage, and they're arguing over different doctrinal things and theological things, and so Paul writes this letter so that we can build a solid foundation of our faith upon it. And so what we're going to do is we're going to walk through a lot of these doctrinal principles that Paul sets up for us to build our faith on over the next several weeks. Um, but we kicked it off two weeks ago, and, and really before we get into where we can go today, we really have to start with where we've already been. It is, it is absolutely essential that we, we start out here all in the same place. And so first of all, I'd like to encourage you, if you weren't able to make it, over the last couple weeks, um, to go back, go online, you can go to acfak.org and watch our sermons, you can get the app, download the app, and you can watch the sermons on your phone, but I really would encourage you to do that, so you can kind of know a little bit about the why behind the what that we're about to talk about right now. So, so far we've been in Rome, uh, Romans for two weeks, and we've covered chapters one through five, and there's two principles, there's two key things that we need to understand today to continue on with where we're going. And the first one is this, the depravity of man, that man is sinful, that man is broken, that man is wicked by our very nature, and that nothing we can do can pull ourselves up out of this truth, can pull ourselves out of our sin, out of this darkness, and that all of us all of us are in this place, or have at least been in this place in our lives. And, and we talked about in Romans 1 and 2 that, that man really left unchecked is going to descend into darkness and into his sin. And that by our, our very nature, who we are, are sinful people. And, and we're going to talk about that a little more, but that we're all in this place. 
all of us here together. And this is, this is bad news, but this is also good news that like not some people are better than others. Like some people escape this truth. Like people you look at in your life and like, oh, they got it together. They must, they must have escaped this, this thing called depravity, this thing called sin. That no, we, we are all equal in this together. And then the second uh, doctrinal truth that we need to know that Paul sets up for us uh, that we talked about last week is this idea, this thing called justification. And what justification is, it is this thing called grace. We're talking about explicit grace. And what grace is, is this, is that we are all broken sinners. We are all unable to pull ourselves out of the muck of sin. And, and the only thing that could come close to saving us was, was God seeing our, our state from heaven and saying the only thing, we talked about this last week, the only thing, the only answer for that sin was for God himself to die. It wasn't that God just swept our sins under the rug. It wasn't that he just ignores them. No, he died for them. And then this amazing thing happens is that that debt is paid for, that debt that we could not pay for, that huge mortgage that we couldn't afford. God came in and he paid it off and then he says, now just receive this thing that I've done for you. Receive what you do not deserve. And that is what we call grace. And when we receive grace, this is really important, we talked about this last week, when we receive grace, we stand before God justified. Paul uses this word in Romans, it's justified, justification. And what justification is, is this, a simple Sunday school basic answer, but it's so relevant for us, is justification means just as if we had never sinned. That we stand before God individually when we receive grace. We stand before God just as if we had never sinned. God covers us by the work of Jesus. What Jesus did on the cross, that payment covers us. And so God sees the work of Jesus. He doesn't see us as dirty, rotten sinners. He sees the work of Jesus when we receive that grace. And this is the great thing. This is the amazing thing about that grace is that it can only be received. We call it righteousness that we stand before God right. But we can only receive righteousness. It cannot be earned. And this is, this is such a key element to this, that before you can do anything to deserve it, before you can do anything to try to earn it, that you stand before God righteous when you receive that grace. Before you can have perfect attendance at church for a month, which is the second key element of righteousness, um, before you, can, before you can read the Bible, before you can go on a mission trip, before you can do anything, immediately you stand before God right when you receive the grace of Jesus. And this is an amazing thing, and this is a key thing. This is what separates Christianity from every other religion on this planet. You see, Christianity teaches us that it's a gospel of received righteousness. Every other religion teaches a gospel of earned righteousness, that you have to earn it, that you have to do enough good deeds to outweigh your bad deeds, and have you done enough in your life to tip the scales in your favor, and you can never be truly secure in your faith, or never be truly secure in your, in your redemption, because you don't know really if you've done enough good to outweigh the bad that you've done. And this is what the world teaches us, and Paul and through the first five chapters of Romans says, no, you guys, the problem is, is you cannot earn it. You can do nothing. You can only receive it. You see, chapters one through five are all about what God has done for us through the gospel. 
what God has done for us through the gospel. Now Paul's about to take it to the next level. He's about to kind of turn the corner here. And now he's about to start teaching us in chapter 6, 7, and 8 what God will do through us in the gospel. What God has done to us in the gospel. So it's first about what God has done for us, and then it's about what God will accomplish in us through the gospel. You see, the first part, chapters 1 through 5, is about us receiving the gospel. Now he's about to turn the corner, and it's about to become about what we experience through the gospel, what God is going to do in us, and we're going to experience the gospel together and what this means for us. So we're going to be in Romans chapter 6 today. So if you have your Bibles, you can grab them, open them up, and turn there. And uh, if you would, if you don't have a Bible, there's, there's one in a seat around you underneath. You can grab that. If you don't own a Bible, that's now your Bible. You can take that home. That's our gift to you. Um, we'd love for you to have that. Um, you can also open our app. We have Bible in there, and the passage is going to be behind me. But if we would, could we stand up together as we just read the introduction to Romans chapter 6. Romans 6, starting in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into his death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Jesus, I pray this morning that we would understand this truth in the depths of our heart, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, God, that you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear, God, what Paul is writing about, that we are dead to sin, but that we are alive in Christ, and how that can change everything for us. Lord, we worship you and we glorify you this morning. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So Paul starts chapter 6 by answering this question that I'm sure he can hear it coming down the pike. Like as he's sitting there writing chapters 1 through 5, he can just hear the questions of the church that he's about to mail this letter to. And he answers the question before they can even ask the question. He answers it. You may do this in your life from time to time. Maybe mom's making dinner and kids run up and they're like, what's for dinner? broccoli casserole. And yes, you have to eat it. Like, let's not even start the, the discussion. I get home from work and my wife is like, hey Josh, I sold some stuff online. And no, that does not mean you can go buy a gun now. Right? Like, let's just end the argument before it starts. Like, let's just not even go there. Let me answer your question before you have to ask it. And, and this is what Paul does. He, he answers this question. So because of grace, because you stand justified before God, and your, basically what he says, your good deeds do not matter, then why do them? He says, so should we just sin so grace may abound? Yeah, all right, I'm covered. I can do whatever I want, right? And Paul answers that with one simple question. No, <laughs> by no means. It's real short. It's the shortest answer Paul's ever given. But then he begins to unpack that for the next several chapters, so... No, of course not. Of course not. But then why? Why would I do good deeds if they don't matter? And I love, we're going to dive into that question today. 
by no means. You see, and Paul then begins to unpack this, and the first thing he tells us is this, that you are dead to sin. Why don't we continue to sin after we receive justification? Because you are dead to sin. This is instrumental. We must understand what this means. And we're going to talk about what does it mean to be dead to sin. But before we do, we really need to dive into what does it, what does it not mean to be dead to sin. I think there's a lot of confusion in what Paul meant in our lives when we read this of what Paul meant when he said dead to sin. And this confusion that we have, this misunderstanding, can lead us to a, really just a lot of places of burden in our life. A lot of unnecessary burden. So let's dive into what does Paul not mean when he says dead to sin. And this is, there's not necessarily a spot for this on your notes. There might be some lines at the bottom. I would encourage you to write these down because these were key and instrumental for me to understand what Paul is not talking about when he says dead to sin. The first one is this. Dead to sin does not mean that you no longer want to sin. It does not mean that you no longer want to sin. That when you're dead to sin, you no longer want to do it. And we know this is true because Paul, in a few verses later, starts talking about how that thing that I don't want to do, I do. That thing that I do want to do, I don't do it. Like there's this war going on inside of me. There's this struggle with sin. I still want to sin. But if Paul's dead to sin, then he wouldn't want to sin anymore. You see, this is really important that we understand that the desire for sin does not go away when we are dead to sin. And for me, personally, this was key and instrumental because I remember growing up and I remember hearing these truths like, okay, when you say yes to Jesus, you're dead to sin. But, but I still want to sin and I still do sin. And so if I still do sin, that must mean that I'm not dead to sin. If I'm not dead to sin, that must mean I'm not baptized into Christ, which must mean that I'm not saved. Oh, no, it's not good. And I think like, oh, I, since I've been baptized in Christ, I should no longer want to sin. But it's clearly what Paul is not talking about because we see him himself testify to his struggle with sin. Number two, dead to sin does not mean that we should not sin. It's not what Paul is talking about when he says dead to sin, that you just shouldn't do it. Um, it, it thinking this way is, is to think like this. Okay, I've died to my sin, so it's probably a bad idea for me to continue to sin. I shouldn't do it anymore. But if I do it, then, you know, it's not that big of a deal because it's covered by grace. Like, I shouldn't do it, but, eh, who really cares? Right? This is not what Paul means when he says dead to sin. It's like, oh, sin is now a bad idea for you. Right? That's, that's not what he's talking about. You see, the first one kind of goes too far. The first one is like, no, you shouldn't even desire to sin anymore. Well, no, that's not true, what Paul said when he calls us dead to sin. And the second one doesn't go far enough. Like, oh, bad idea, but... If you do it, no big deal. That's, again, not what Paul is talking about when he says, die to sin. He says that you are dead to sin, not that you should die to sin. Um, the third thing that Paul does not mean when he calls us dead to sin is he does not mean that we're slowly moving away from sin. Now, that is true. As a Christian, we are slowly moving away from sin, but that's not what Paul means when he calls us dead to sin. In fact, Paul says, uh, says this, he says that, it is, that we're not slowly dying to sin, that we're tied, we are united to Christ in his death. That Christ died once and for all for sin. It was a one-time death. It wasn't a slow death. It wasn't like he dies a little bit every day to death. No, that, that Christ died once and for all. 
and that we are united in that death. And so our death to sin is once and for all. It's not that I die a little bit more to sin every single day, therefore separating myself from sin a little bit more every day. That's not what Paul is talking about. And finally, dead to sin does not mean that we renounce sin and we reject sin. Again, it is true we want to renounce sin and we do want to reject sin. But again, this is not what Paul is talking about when he says that we are dead to sin. You see, the way we die to sin is this. Paul explains that death is a result of our union to Christ. Again, that we are united to Christ in his death. In other words, death to sin is done something to you. It is not done something by you. And a lot of Christians kind of struggle with this, going, okay, I just got to continue to reject sin. Like, it's my job to do this, and it's all on me. It's what I have to do to be dead to sin. But that's not what Paul says. No, we're united with Christ. Christ is the one who died to sin. We just get to be united in that truth. He did all the work. It's done to us. It's not done by us. It doesn't rest on our wills and actions. It it rests on what Christ did. So that is what dead to sin does not mean. It does not mean that we don't want to sin anymore. It does not mean that we just shouldn't sin. It does not mean that we're just slowly moving away to sin. And it does not mean that we renounce sin on our own strength. So what does Paul mean when he says that we are dead to sin? This is key, and this is really important, you guys. Being dead to sin means that we are no longer under the dominion and the rule of sin in our life. We're no longer under the authority of sin when we are dead to sin. You see, before we are united to Christ, before we receive grace, before we receive the gospel, all of us, every single one of us, is in this kingdom of darkness, this kingdom of sin. We are born into it. We need to understand this truth is that we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. Our sin is our very nature, the Bible calls it. It is our identity, it is who we are. And sin is the master of those who live in its kingdom. It is the ruler of those who live in its kingdom. You don't have a choice to sin or to not sin. It is by nature who you are a sinner. It is so much less to do about your actions and so much more to do about your identity. Your identity is Sin. Colossians 1.13 tells us this, that he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. You see, when you live in the kingdom of sin, you have, there is no hope to have sin broken in your life. But when you receive the gospel, when you receive the grace, that justification from God, you are brought out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of the son he loves or the kingdom of light. And now sin has been beaten altogether through Jesus, so now it can be broken in your life. Now we have the authority and the ability, not by what we do, but by what Christ has done to defeat sin and break it in our lives. Uh, chapter 6 verse 6 says for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin you see it's about being set free from the rule the authority 
the dictator of sin in your life. That's what death to sin means. When Paul says you are dead to sin, he says you are no longer under this authority. You are no longer part of this kingdom. You've been set free from this kingdom. In other words, really what Paul is saying is you no longer have to sin. You no longer have to sin. Now, when you sin, it's because you have chosen to sin. Before, it was just your very nature. You you couldn't do anything about it. You see, when a non-Christian sins, they're acting out their very nature. That is, by definition, who they are. Why wouldn't they sin? And this can sound really harsh, especially if you're in this room this morning, you're like, well, I wouldn't call myself a Christian. The truth of the matter is we've all been in that place. I'm not any better than you. It is not like God said, well, Josh, he's a little bit smarter, a little bit better, because we know that's not true. Um, So I'm going to give him grace, and I'm going to pull him out, but this person over here, I'm not convinced of them yet. we'll, we'll, We'll wait it out and see. No, we've all been in this place, and this is, this is good news in the fact that we're all on the same level playing ground. We've all started from there. We've all been members. We've all been citizens of this kingdom of darkness, every one of us. And the only way out is not by working your way out. The only way out is not by you know, doing enough good deeds. Again, that's what the world teaches us. If you do enough good things, then you can pull yourself out of this place. That is absolutely not true. Paul says that our good deeds are worth nothing when it comes to this especially. But it is all about what Jesus has done for us. And so now, when a Christian sins, when you've been pulled out of that kingdom of darkness and put in the kingdom of light, when a Christian sins, it goes against their very nature. Why would a Christian sin? It goes against their very nature. The Bible says that that old man is dead and you are now made alive in Christ dead to sin, alive in Christ. And so when we are alive in Christ, when we sin, and we will, but when we sin, it goes against our very nature. It goes against who we are, and it goes against what God has saved us and and rose us back into, life in Christ. You see, when I sin as a Christian, it's truly because I forget or I don't realize who I am anymore. I don't realize my true identity. See, when I sin as a Christian, it's because I've forgotten that I am no longer a slave to sin, but now I'm a slave to something else. And Paul calls it righteousness. You see, to be justified is to be crucified. We need to understand that. That Paul calls us justified, and when we're justified, we're tied to the crucifixion of Christ. To be justified is to be crucified. And that we are dead to that sin. But Paul starts using this other word in Romans chapter 6, and it's sanctified, sanctification. You see, to be sanctified is to be made alive. To be sanctified is to be made alive. This is what sanctification is. This is kind of crazy. It's kind of hard to get your mind wrapped around, but this is really important. This is really cool when you can begin to understand this. This changes everything for us. See, justification is, bam, in a moment, in that very instant, you stand holy before God. Now, that's justified. Now, sanctified is the process of being made holy. You're holy, and now there's a process of being made holy, and it's a lifelong process. It's this idea that God did not go, okay, I'm going to work on you, and work on you, and work on you, and work on you, and I'm going to work on sanctifying you, and then hopefully someday you'll be justified and be able to stand before me. See, that's how we would do it. 
Like, get them right, and then they can stand before him. But God does it the opposite way. He says, no, I'm going to make them right, and then we'll work on making them right. I'm going to make them holy because of what Jesus did, and now let's make them holy. See, that's the whole point of dead to sin, now alive in Christ. And alive in Christ means that you are on the journey of being made to look like the image of Christ. And it is not by what we do, but it is the Holy Spirit at work in us. Again, justification is what a God accomplished for us. Sanctification is what God will accomplish in us. It's us experiencing the truth of the gospel as the Holy Spirit is at work within us. Chapter, or sorry, verse 5 says this, For we have been united with him in his death, like this. We will certainly be, be united with him in his resurrection, the death that he died, he died for sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. You see, this is the truth, is that we are alive in Christ to God. Why, why are we alive now? When we say yes to Jesus, we've been brought into this kingdom of light. What is the whole purpose? How does it work? We're alive through Christ. The whole way that our, our new man, our new person is alive is Jesus is the very heartbeat of us, but to a purpose is to God. Just as Jesus was made alive to God, we are made alive now to God. You see, as a believer, as someone who has been justified and now in the process of being sanctified, it comes down to this. It doesn't come down to gritting your teeth and saying no to sin and I'm just going to willpower myself through this thing like, like I do all the time, like so many of us do. No, it's about realizing this. What do you desire more? What do you desire more? Do you desire sin or do you desire God more in your life? And the thing that you desire more is the thing that you will chase after. John Piper has this quote. I love this quote. The Christian life is about competing desires, not just about competing decisions. The Christian life is about competing desires, not just about competing decisions. In other words, it's not just about will you receive grace or will you reject grace? Will you receive Jesus or will you reject Jesus? We've kind of boiled it down to it's all about that decision. But then what happens after? What happens after you make that decision? Now it becomes about competing desires in our life. That a desire of sin does not go away. The temptation of sin does not go away. Now I live my Christian life out of competing desires. What do I desire more? And that thing which I desire more is that thing which I will do. But knowing this truth kind of changes things, right? It's so much less about gritting my teeth more and so much more about desiring God more. Oftentimes we pray like this, God, help me overcome this sin in my life. God, break this rule of sin in my life. Well, A, he's already done that. But God, help me to overcome this thing that I just can't seem to overcome, this sin that so easily entangles me. God, help me to overcome it. But what if we prayed more like this? God, help me to desire you more. God, help me desire you, your presence, your holiness, your face. God, help me to desire your word more than I desire my sin. That changes things. That changes our perspective of what it's about, what sanctification is about, is about desiring God more than we desire our sin. And it is a lifelong journey for that, but you see, justification, it demands sanctification. 
being made right before God demands that now we begin the process of being made right before God. You see, we were saved by Christ specifically, this is important to know, we were saved by Christ specifically so we would not sin. We were saved so we would not sin. Titus 2, 11 through 14 says this, for the grace of God has appeared to offer salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope appearing in the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from the wickedness and to purify us for himself, a people that are his very own, Listen to this, eager to do what is good. See, in Titus, he's saying like, God redeemed us, he rescued us so that we would be purified, eager to do what is good. And in Romans 6, it says, the benefit that you reap leads to holiness. The benefit that you reap through justification, it leads to holiness in our lives and holiness leads to eternal life. You see, it's not just about God like ripping stuff out of our hands, taking it away, even though that's what he does. He takes away our sin, he covers it, but it's about, it's so much more about life in Christ, about him giving us. Jesus says, I came to give you life and give it to you abundantly. This is the resurrected life that he has for us. But oftentimes we try to live this neutral life. Right? We try to live this life that's like, I don't want to be part of the kingdom of darkness. Like, rescue me from that. But living a life of holiness, that seems like a bit much. I'm happy kind of right in the middle right here. Going to heaven, doing what I want <laughs> until I get there. And when we try to do that, what we end up doing is we're like living a half-baptized life. Right? Like, dead to sin. And we miss out so much of what Christ really intended us to have in this life. I mean, it's kind of funny. If you think about that, can you imagine if we did that? We have Baptism Sunday. We have Easter coming up. We're going to be doing baptisms. Someone gets in the tank and we're like, do you want the whole baptism or the half baptism? I'll take the half. Great. Dead to sin. And dead to life. All right. Hey, really, in reality, that's just quicker sanctification, right? Like the sanctification process is done at that point. Stand before God. But we try to live this half-baptized life. Pastor Brian last week used an example. I'm going to use it again because it's so perfect for us. He asked, how many of us are half-married? I'm glad nobody raised their hand. Right? But we live that way. Some of us, many of us, our culture sure does. We're married and we live like we're single. Or we're single and we live like we're married. And we try to live this half-life, this neutral life, this half-baptized, half-married life. But in reality, nobody's half-married. And nobody's half-baptized. You've been baptized into Christ's death and united to his life and resurrection, or you have not. And this is important to understand that justification demands sanctification in our life. See, Paul is trying to show us in chapter 6, it has far less to do with gritting our teeth and so much more about understanding our identity and who we are in Christ. 
You see, justification, what it does, justification does not produce perfection. Justification does not produce perfection, it produces direction. And it turns us towards a holy God. And we begin to move towards that holy God. And as we do that, that is sanctification. It is becoming holy, being made into the image and the likeness of the God that we've been united to in his death and resurrection. It's not about like, okay, now you're, you're perfect and so act perfect. No, it's you've been made perfect and now we're gonna begin the process of helping you discover that, helping you desire that, to know that and live that out in your life. So the question is, and Paul dives into this, the question now is, who are you a slave to? Who are you a slave to? In verse 15, Paul continues on. He says, what then? Shall we sin because we are no longer under the law of grace? By no means. Again, he has to repeat this question and answer. Do you not know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from, the, <clears throat> from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin, and you have become slaves to righteousness. You see, Paul says, you've been set free from sin, now you're a slave to righteousness. But when you're a slave to righteousness and you choose to sin, what you're doing is you're going right back and choosing to do the very thing that you were set free from. Again, like we said, that you were saved so that you would not sin anymore. You're set free from the rule and the reign and the, the terror, really, of sin in your life. But then when we choose to go back to it, we're like, cool, it's, I want to go back to that master, right? It's exactly like Israel getting set free from Egypt, and they're in the desert, and God is reigning over them. And they're like, yeah, but Egypt wasn't that bad, was it? Can we go back to that ruler in our lives? And when we choose to sin, that's exactly what we do. It's exactly how we act, what we say to God. You see, who are you a slave to? What you desire most is what you are a slave to. What you desire most is what you are a slave to. Listen to this quote. Whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by acceptance. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the lords of our lives. You see, Paul really gives us, he breaks it down like this. There's two options. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. Now, you cannot be a slave to neither and you cannot be a slave to both. You will choose one or the other. Who are you a slave to? What you desire most is what you become a slave to cannot be a slave to neither and you cannot be a slave to both. You see, slavery to sin, it begins at birth. But slavery to righteousness begins at new birth or rebirth. This is so instrumental that we understand that we're no longer slaves to sin when we receive the grace of Jesus. So Paul, he encourages the believers in two things. So how do I 
become a slave to righteousness? How do I choose to desire that more? Because we're justified, so yes, we are set free from sin, and we are under the rule of righteousness now, and righteousness leads to holiness, which leads to eternal life, so that's good, but how do I like prevent myself? How do I stop going back to Egypt, back to the sinful master? Well, Paul, he encourages us to do two things. The first one is this. Offer yourself as a slave to God. And that's what we've been talking about this morning. Offer yourself as a slave to God. God's grace enables us to embrace the gospel in our hearts, resulting in a changed life. To embrace the gospel, not just in your mind, but in your heart. And it is only by the grace of God that we can even do that. Brian talked about that last week. It is a gift to us to be able to do that. But when we do that, we offer ourselves as a slave to God. And the second one is this. Offer yourselves to righteousness. Paul says that to offer your body parts to him as instruments of righteousness. It's kind of interesting. Paul says, offer yourself as a slave to God, and now offer the parts of your body as slaves to righteousness, as instruments of righteousness. And then he goes on to say, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching and is how you claim your allegiance. Offering yourself to righteousness leads to holiness. So what he's saying is, okay, now we have these parts of our body and these parts of our body, these are the things that really want to sin, right? Like my mouth wants to speak death to people. Like my hands don't want to help, they want to hurt, right? My feet don't want to go to the needy, they want to run to my couch, right? Our, our bodies are instruments now of righteousness, instruments to help people understand that grace abounds, that they don't have to be slaves to sin anymore. And so when we use our mouth to speak righteousness, truth, life, we are subjugating it to righteousness and is becoming an instrument now of righteousness. When our hands reach out to help, to lift up, Instead of strike down, now they're instruments of righteousness. And Paul says, submit to this. You see, as righteousness becomes our master, our character and our will are shaped into habits of holiness and righteousness. When we allow righteousness to be our master, it begins to shape our very will around it. And we begin to desire that more than we desire sin. I love it. He goes on to say, you wholeheartedly obeyed from the teachings from which you were entrusted. What does it look like to have righteousness be your master? It comes out in forms of obedience to the gospel, obedience to God. Really what it is, is acting according to our new reality. When we obey God, when we desire him more, we're really acting out who we are, our new identity. And the more we know that identity, the more we, we understand that identity and, and where we've come from, that it wasn't by our own strength, it wasn't by our own desire, it wasn't by our own will, it wasn't by our own good deeds, but it was solely on what Jesus did for us. And now there's a work inside of us to make us more in that way. When we begin to do that and understand that and realize that and walk that out, all of a sudden it becomes, all of a sudden it's like, oh, why would I want to choose sin? That's not who I am anymore. I don't want to go back to that master. I've been set free from that master. Sin and righteousness. Two masters. You cannot serve neither and you cannot serve both. And Paul ends the chapter this way. I want to end 
this morning this way. You see, both masters, they pay their slaves. They pay them. Very, very famous passage in the Bible. And this is how their payment looks. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. See, being a slave to sin, it pays, but it pays out death. And being a slave to sin does free you from being a slave to righteousness and acting righteous before God. But, you see, the payment of sin is death. The payment of righteousness and being a slave to it is eternal life. Now, I know... <laughs> That was a lot. Paul packs a lot of truth, theology, doctrine into one little chapter. And someone was telling me earlier, it's like, I feel like I just went through a massive workout <laughs> sitting through the sermon. I need some water right now. I need just to cool down from this. I want us just to end with just this simple thought. In all that we've talked about, the question is this, is are you a slave to sin? Or are you a slave to righteousness? What do you desire more? See, if you have not received the grace of Jesus, you are by nature a slave to sin, and there's nothing you can do within your own power to pull you out of that. But there's good news this morning. Somebody's already done that for you. The work has already been done. God is ready to put his grace upon you, to unite you to the death and resurrection of Christ. And that can happen right now, right where you're sitting, this very moment. You don't have to wait till church is over. You don't have to wait to get up to go pray with somebody. You don't have to wait till you get home. You don't have to wait until you come to church five consecutive weeks in a row. It can be done right now. By faith, through Christ, we receive that justification. And you no longer have to be a slave to sin, but now you can be a slave to righteousness. And then there's those of us in this room that have been united to Christ, have received that grace, yet we continue to want to go back to that sin because we end up desiring it more, more than we desire God. Where do your desires lay this morning? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your truth. God, we thank you for your gospel. God, we thank you that you've done all the work. God, I can't earn it. I don't deserve it. God, it is purely on your grace that I can receive it. And Jesus, I pray that you would begin to work in us, those who have received this truth, God, the, 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 the working, God, and the, the, the walking out of sanctification in our lives, that we would be submitting ourselves to righteousness, rejecting, God, the desire of sin, God, but receiving the desire to love you and to know you more. Help us desire you more, God. Forgive us for acting against our identities. Forgive us for wanting to go back, God, to our old master. Lord, I pray that you would teach us to desire you, God, that we would offer ourselves as slaves to God and that we would offer the parts of our bodies as instruments of righteousness and pursue hard after you, Jesus. Help us to understand what has been done to us through justification, that we might rejoice in that, in our sanctification. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you. Amen. Thanks, guys.